Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Your Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, So on this uh, episode, we're going to uh, continue our talk about perimenopause. We're going to uh, talk about some of the supplementation that we use uh, in, uh, you know, in helping people deal with uh, some of the symptoms of perimenopause. Exactly. We've talked about perimenopause many times and in other podcasts and blog posts as well. And like we always say, there's really not a lot of answers out there, especially conventionally. The last thing you want to do is take you know, habit forming or ineffective medications. But at the same time, we also want to have some help so we can kind of transition and, you know, feel good during this time of perimenopause. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Now, conventionally, you know, like we talked about in the past, uh, really the only options for this window, uh, this, uh, this demographic, this, you know, 10 year span, 10 plus year span for women. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, right. Let's say from 40 to 50, if we just kept it to that, but I think there's a little, um, you know, overlap into the late 30s and even into the early early 50s. So we're looking at a really good solid decade. Uh, in some ways, a really highly productive uh, time f- uh, frame for women where they need to, you know, they kind of need to be on their game. They have lots of things, are juggling lots of different parts of their lives. Uh, and they, you know, we hear it all the time. They, you know, women get to this certain point uh, and all of a sudden their bodies just stop cooperating. You know, they can't sleep. They have anxiety. They're irritable. Uh, they're gaining weight. They, you know, they have all these things that are happening that they've never really experienced up at that point. And they really don't know what's going on. And they go to their, you know, their gynecologist, they go to their primary care doctor, and no one really has any answers to be able to help them. Yeah, like you were saying, probably, probably the most common medication is birth control pills, which the last thing you want to do is be in your 40s taking birth control pills. So that is kind of frowned upon. um, I mean, antidepressants, a lot of doctors will offer, you know, um, perimenopausal females, antidepressants. And they'll say, well, I'm not depressed. You know, sure. I don't feel well. I'm irritable. I'm not sleeping. I can, you know, I have a lot of brain fog. My short-term memory isn't the, you know, isn't, isn't right. You know, they, they have a lot of these symptoms, but it's not necessarily a, a disease. So, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of conventional practitioners do feel like their hands are tied, you know, even like anti-anxiety medications are extremely habit forming. The last thing you want to do is put somebody on some kind of prescription that they're not going to be able to get off of. And yeah. even, um, we had also talked about another podcast, IUDs are very common. And I, I do think an IUD is a good form of birth control, but it doesn't really do a whole lot for the perimenopausal hormonal changes. Sure. It can help with those irregular periods, the chronic spotting, the heavy bleeding. Um, but it doesn't do a whole lot for some of the other symptoms that go along with perimenopause. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the IUD, you know, like you said, has some benefits to it in it. And in, you know, when it comes to birth control, that's a whole nother podcast, which we probably will never do. But, uh, the, you know, the other things that women are dealing with, that doesn't really, it doesn't solve all their problems. And like with anything, there's no one magic pill fits all, you know, one magic thing is going to take care of everything or you wave a magic wand and everything's gone. It really is sort of a multi 
multifactorial process. And that's why we thought, hey, you know what? There's a lot of really good natural non-habit forming supplements that, you know, women can take depending on what their goals are in perimenopause. Some women just want to sleep. You know, some women want their libido back. Other women want their periods to be more balanced or get rid of this unusual, never had before, you know, perimenopause acne. So, you know, depending on the goals, there really are some nice supplementation to be able to help with that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So in, in conjunction with some diet and lifestyle things, uh, you know, the supplementation can be added in uh, that help to, you know, to help them, you know, to help late make life a little bit more functional, uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, productive on a daily basis. Uh, and that's where we usually start with sleep number one. Sleep, as we talked about before, for anything, whether it's weight loss, whether it's perimenopause, thyroid, adrenals, anything, sleep now, granted, this is a maybe obvious, uh, but sleep has to be somewhat foundational. In our busy 21st century society with all the devices and screens we have to look at all the time uh, and all the ambient light that is around us constantly, it's no surprise that we have, you know, we have some, uh, we have some trouble sleeping to say the least. And one hallmark in perimenopause, granted as females, you know, our hormones start, you know, they're always changing from the second we enter pre-puberty, puberty, and then all along our hormones are always changing. But one particular hallmark in perimenopause is the estrogen and progesterone balance. So in perimenopausal females, you'll see that progesterone drop down, which has an effect on like Dr. Mackey was talking about with sleep by causing the cortisol levels to go up at night. Yeah, right. Or, you know, they, uh, again, people we talked about before, people having this kind of flipped curve, right? So uh, they have more cortisol at night, they have less in the morning, and they just, you know, for whatever reason, they either can't fall asleep and or they can't stay asleep. And it becomes this kind of nightly process where something that is so innate in all, you know, all human beings, uh, it becomes a real struggle. And when you got to get up at, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning to either take care of the kids or go to work or go to school or whatever, um, that's a, you know, that's, that's gets very exhausting. No pun intended. It gets very exhausting very quickly when you, you know, when you, you know, almost kind of dreading the, the evening where you're, you know, kind of, you know, getting ready for that process of sleeping, but you know, you're just not going to be able to do it. Uh, You know, that, you know, that's a really big deal. So one thing that we focus on with the sleep is that, you know, trying to balance progesterone because that is dropped and then reducing cortisol at night. One thing that we use a lot is Vitex. Vitex is a great herb. I think what's the common name? Chase tree berry, chase tree berry. It's a really, actually a really pretty plant. Um, it's actually almost like a, like a shrub kind of tree like thing, but it's, um, it helps balance progesterone without actually giving you progesterone. So if you can help balance a perimenopausal females progesterone, that will help bring down that cortisol at night to help them stay asleep. Yeah, right. Yeah. Progesterone itself. I mean, that's what we've talked about in the past on perimenopause. Progesterone is kind of that, the lack of progesterone or the, the, the decrease in production of progesterone uh, for most women, you know, when they're menstruating, they only produce progesterone for half the month anyways. Um, but when that, you know, when that uh, progesterone production either drops off or stops completely, uh, it, uh, you know, it really has a dramatic impact on how that woman feels. So now that, that balance, like you say, between the estrogen and progesterone, you have still relatively, maybe not an excess amount of estrogen, but they become almost kind of pseudo estrogen dominant because they have a lot of estrogen, but no progesterone to balance that out. Uh, and that just, you know, they just don't feel as well. They don't feel as quote unquote balanced, no pun intended. They don't feel as balanced that way because one of those major 
reproductive hormones is missing. Yeah, so the Vitex, you know, there's not a lot of negative side effects to it. And what it does is it stimulates luteinizing hormone, LH, which is a stimulating hormone from your brain, which is supposed to, in some ways, kind of tell the ovaries to make a little bit more progesterone. So that's one nice way. And like you had mentioned too, with perimenopause, you get you can get this sort of pseudoestrogen dominant. It's not that their estrogen is surging really high like it might be in a, you know, in a, a teenage girl when their estrogen is trying to come alive, but you notice because of the lack of progesterone, the estrogen sort of, she kind of runs the show because there's no one reining her in that we might use maybe some DIM or some indole three carbonyl, which both are made from cruciferous vegetables like broccoli or cauliflower, which is really nice, but it helps bring down those estrogen metabolites, which can also be a little bit stimulating, not just for sleep, but just in general. Yeah, right. So you kind of curb some of that, uh, you know, some of that, um, you know, inevitable, um, uh, uh, changes to the cycle that women are going to experience, right? They, uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, with our patients, we've seen a lot of people in their, again, in their late thirties, you know, even going into their early fifties and they start having this increase in bleeding. Uh, now granted that's a normal process. It's when the ovaries and the the brain and the ovaries are still communicating, the ovaries are not really responding. The brain is kind of demanding the ovaries do something. And all of a sudden now you get excess bleeding that obviously goes in conjunction with this decline in progesterone, you know, so sometimes it's kind of seen as being, you know, dangerous for the woman. It's really, you know, somewhat common. We see it all the time. Uh, and, uh, you know, that kind of, kind of, uh, what we're talking about with the DIM and the indo 3 carbonyl certainly can help kind of curb that a little bit. Yeah, and I don't know if we're supposed to throw a disclaimer out here, not meant for medical advice, educational only, but it, you know, it really is a nice way to kind of work on balancing those hormones without having to use a prescription or having some negative side effects. So they're definitely worth a shot. Other things that I know Dr. Mackey loves, especially for sleeping, is he loves glycine. You always talk about glycine with patients. Yeah, especially when you have that, uh, you know, the the racing mind. Or you're, we were talking to your mom one time, and she called it motor mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the you have the racing thoughts. You wake up in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden you're thinking about, you know, the, the to-do list you have the next day, and you just have these kind of repetitive ra- racing thoughts in your mind. Glycine works very well to calm some of that down um, because it's effect that it has on reducing cortisol. We don't need to get into necessarily, the, you know, that, but, you know, something that's very simple. It's not habit-forming. Uh, you can kind of use it as you need it. Um, but you know, when, uh, you know, when you're dealing with some of those, uh, sleep issues, it can be, it can be, uh, very effective. And I personally really like, uh, uh, pharma GABA. Pharma GABA is a great way to kind of raise up your GABA levels at night. And by raising up GABA can kind of bring down cortisol and then you can get a better night's sleep. So like you were mentioning, my goodness, you know, in our forties, Hey, I'm in my forties, 47 to be exact we're busy. We got a lot of stuff going on. I don't want to have two extra hours at night, wide awake, staring at the ceiling. Um, I would rather have two extra productive hours during the day. So if we can get that better sleep, that definitely helps obviously with energy and, you know, reducing fatigue during the day. Yeah. And if you, I mean, you see a lot of things coming off that, you know, the, the worse your sleep is, the worse everything else is. The worse your waistline is going to be, the worse your energy is going to be, the worse your mood's going to be. Uh, all of those things are going to be impacted. Uh, you know, so that's why it, you know, we always focus on sleep as being the number one. If, if honestly, for most women, if they just did nothing else, but just focus on their sleep, uh, and that includes some of the lifestyle stuff too, reducing caffeine, uh, dot, uh, doing a lot of crazy cardiovascular exercise, making sure that your caloric intake is adequate, you know, so you're not creating an environment that 
forces your cortisol to go up. I know intermittent fasting these days is really popular, um, but for some that, you know, increases cortisol and adrenaline, uh, you know, or epinephrine, uh, and that's going to be, you know, that can make it challenging to get to sleep at night, especially if you're already kind of, you know, somewhat age predisposed is what we're talking about. And speaking of those catecholamines or adrenaline or, you know, that fight or flight is in perimenopause, it is interesting. You do see a lot of kind of, I don't want to call it anxiety because anxiety is such a loaded word, but a lot of angst, worry, stress, kind of feeling real edgy or wound up. That's really common. And I think that's coming from some of those catecholamines, from the adrenals, not being buffered by the female hormones, and then having that, you know, where your threshold for patients just gets really short. Like people will tell me, I have no tolerance for stress anymore. And and it's not that they don't have tolerance. It's just almost like their fight or flight reaction gets, gets, you know, thrown for any little thing. Yeah. Now, granted, we talked about this on the last one. We were just kind of uh, introducing this perimenopause topic. Why is it so awful? Uh, and I do think not awful, but it was a catchy title. Uh, it was just yeah. It was just a, it was just a keyword. But you know, it's a it's a you know it's a good it's a good title. Uh, but no, honestly, you know, granted, I'm not a woman, obviously, so I can't relate necessarily. But you're in perimenopause. A lot of our patients are in perimenopause, and we hear these comments all the time. Uh, you know, they're they're just kind of at their wits' end, and uh, you know they they do use the word horrible and awful and miserable. And, you know, this is ruining my life. And, you know, they make these a lot of, you know, kind of dramatic statements because of the impact that it's having on them that they've never, as I said earlier, that they never really experienced before. So, and they get even more frustrated, like, like we said earlier as well, when they go to their, you know, their different practitioners uh, conventionally, and they really don't have any help for them. So that's why we're talking about this, uh, you know, and it's just something from observation, per, uh, from an observation perspective, um, you know, this is just, you know, the things that we, you know, we see and see what people are dealing with on a consistent basis. And, you know, every practitioner does have their favorite herbs or vitamins or supplements to kind of help with that kind of stressed or feeling like you're real edgy, but I've you know, I've always had um, patients use L-theanine. I think L-theanine as an amino acid is very innocuous. It's very safe. Uh, but at the same time, it can kind of take the edge off of that anxiety. But lately, I would say probably in the last, eh, maybe more like two years, I've been using a lot of folate. I find that folate actually kind of helps balance some of that mood out without being overly, you know, you know, it doesn't make you sleepy, but it doesn't make you extra stimulated. It's just something to kind of level things out. So just some thoughts there. Yeah. Yeah. So folic acid is what we are usually are aware of, but methylfolate, um, is a little bit different for all those that have MTHFR mutation. Um, that's the, you all know about methylfolate. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the real word for that, for those of you that don't know is the methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme. Uh, that's a mouthful, right? That's a really you know, that's why they just abbreviate it, the MTHFR, because, you know, who wants to say that all the time? Uh, that that mutation basically uh, encodes for this particular enzyme. And if you have there, there's actually two specific mutations that you know, your, your folate metabolism becomes somewhat um, diminished. So you actually need more folate, uh, you know, in your diet or through supplementation and to be able to make sure that that methylation pathway actually works. Uh, one of our colleagues actually, you know, Dr. Ben Lynch, he of course is kind of like the, the methylation expert. 
Uh, we both have learned, you know, quite a bit from him uh, and even from our patients. Our patients are pretty savvy these days and everyone is kind of, uh, you know, honed in on, you know, on methylation. And it's a really, you know, in the liver and in, you know, pretty much all the cells in the body, it's a, it's a major pathway that has impact on immune function with all the coronavirus stuff, you know, that, you know, that's a big deal. Energy, mood, uh, you know, uh, DNA and RNA replication. So being able to turn over and make new cells, um, you know, that's, uh, that's a really big deal. But aside from the MTHFR, I think just in general for perimenopause, even if you have MTHFR, if you don't have MTHFR, I think doing kind of higher levels of folate does kind of take the edge off for that mood. Because I'll tell you, being a perimenopausal female, you can get a little irritable. Uh, Maybe a little. I wouldn't, I didn't know. I've never noticed. Yeah, Yeah, I've never noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never noticed. Uh, uh, so you know, there, those are, uh, again, some, uh, so we're kind of approaching this, nothing, uh, nothing specific uh, exactly, but from a vitamin, a mineral, a herb uh, perspective, even amino acids. So we have kind of all the different categories covered, uh, you know, um, and uh, the things that we've seen that have um, shown a, you know, kind of a track record of, you know, of getting results with people, you know, that's really a, at the end of the day, there's a lot of supplementation out there. And I think that supplements, even some of the marketing for some of supplements, I think is done in a way, especially to the public, that a supplement is going to replace a drug, um, that you're going to be able to take this supplement, kind of got clever name on it, and it's going to replace your drug. Uh, supplements don't work like drugs do. Uh, we can't, you know, we can't uh, compare them on the same level because they have completely different mechanisms of action. Uh, supplementation are kind of derived from other nature. A lot of drugs are derived from other nature as well, but they they have different impacts on the body in different ways. Uh, and we will be the first to say when it comes to supplementation, there's not one supplement that's going to solve some issues. Usually it is, like you've said, it's kind of a it's a combination of a few different things because you're going, you're approaching that from a few different perspectives that one supplement isn't going to necessarily cover all those bases at once. Or even dose dependent, you know, somebody that weighs, you know, 110 pounds is going to maybe need a different dose of a supplement than somebody that weighs 185 pounds. Every, you know, everybody's different. There is that little dose dependency because a lot of people will say, I've tried that supplement. I've tried supplementation. It doesn't do anything. And then I look at what they're taking. It probably Honestly, the brand that might have might not actually have anything in there. So you have to make sure that you're using a quality brand, reputable, or you look at the dose and say, well, you know, this dose is so low or you're not using the active ingredient that would be considered in that dose. So there, there are some, definitely some aspects when you're looking at supplementation with that. Yeah. Well, I think we're a little bit, uh, as humans, excuse me, as humans in America, we're used to taking a pill and it's solving a problem. Um, but like you said, with supplementation, it is, uh, it is about the, uh, how much of it you take, what the active ingredient is. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I got a little frog in my throat. Um, those are all very important considerations. You can't just take a lot of times with some of the things that we use with people, you can't just take one or two, uh, you know, capsules of something or, uh, you know, and expect that to have the impact that you want. And that's really where uh, the clinical experience part comes into play. So you, uh, you know, you're able to uh, recommend something that is actually going to be effective and, you know, have, uh, you know, actually get someone some results. And then on the flip side, sometimes supplementation will go awry. Like for example, you know, DHEA is a very common over-the-counter supplement. It's been around forever, but a lot of times women will say, or somebody will tell them, hey, you should take some DHEA for your hormones. It's a pro-hormone. It can convert into other hormones. It could help you with your symptoms, but they don't realize, you know, DHEA is an androgen. It actually has some tendencies 
that if you take too much of it will make you feel even worse. Yeah, right. Especially if you have some anxiety, it can really exacerbate anxiety. Uh, and always on a public shelf, you go to, you know, the local vitamin store, you're going to get, you're only going to find 25 milligrams. 25 milligrams is really a male dose. Uh, that is usually almost across the board, always too much for a woman. And we usually do five to 10 milligrams. Very rarely if needed. Yeah. yeah. Very rarely do we go above that. Uh, and usually it takes a roughly anywhere from a month to about, you know, um, eight weeks or so to see the three, the three cosmetic issues, uh, Breakouts or you know blemishes, acne. yeah, acne, which of course no one, no adult woman wants to deal with. Not not only teenagers don't want to deal with that, but certainly adult women don't want to deal with that. Uh, you're going to see hair growth in unwanted places like on the chin, the upper lip, uh, maybe the sideburn area, maybe around the areola and on the abdomen below the belly button. Uh, you know, those are, and then unfortunately hair loss. And then of course, yeah, hair loss, which on the head. <laughs> yeah, no women want to be gaining any, growing any hair where they don't want to, and they don't want to be losing any hair where they don't want to. Uh, and that sometimes almost inevitable across the board that at a 25 milligram dose that that's going to happen. There's, you know, now granted there's some women that maybe have long due stress for years and years and years. Maybe they have a really low DHEA. So there's a, you know, a few exceptions where you could probably get away with 25 milligrams for a short amount of time to kind of boost up that level. Um, but most women, if they just take 25 milligrams, it's, you know, it's not going to take long before they start having some issues with them. And we do make DHEA as females. We make DHEA mainly from our adrenal glands, um, which then can convert into testosterone. So in perimenopause, like I said, you'll notice that progesterone drops, the estrogen can kind of drop a little or stay the same, but when that hormonal balance is off, our DHA and testosterone usually doesn't change too much in perimenopause. Of course, it's based on the individual. So a lot of times you will see just in general in, in the 40s is maybe, oh, my hair, my hairline's thinning or the temples are thinning. I'm breaking out and I never used to break out or feeling, you know, quote unquote, testy. And that, um, you know, and that really comes from those unbalanced androgens because of the drop in progesterone. So a lot of perimenopausal females may not need those androgens or the DHEA, if anything, we do a really good, you know, hair, skin, and um, nails formula that has some good minerals in there like zinc and copper and mag um, manganese is a really good one, silica, and of course, biotin. Everybody is very, which is more of a vitamin, um, familiar with biotin. Instead, we do that to really work on the hair. Or like evening primrose oil is probably one of my favorites for the hair. I use that a lot in, um, in teenage girls because it kind of helps sort of balance the hormones without being a hormone, but it's, you know, it's great for the breast tissue and it's really good for, for, um, hair thickness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, uh, evening primrose is a, you know, is an essential fatty acid. Um, part of it, it's actually an omega six fatty acid. We always think of omega threes, but it's actually an omega six or it contains an omega six and that can have kind of some anti-inflammatory effects, which, uh, uh, you know, can be, you know, be very effective for a, a few, uh, for a variety of different things. Uh, now, uh, the other part, uh, we didn't talk too much about adrenals, but, uh, you know, adrenals is when we're talking cortisol, that's kind of synonymous. We're talking DHA. That's kind of synonymous for the adrenals. Um, there's, you know, and I think everyone is fairly well aware of some of the adrenal specific things, everything from glandulars on the higher end, uh, all the way down to, um, you know, vitamins, vitamin C, very popular as of late from immune sti stimulating perspective, uh, panathenic acid, um, vitamin B5, very vitamin, uh, very adrenal specific. And then of course, all the herbs that are in the middle, uh, you know, one of my favorites of course has always been licorice root, 
you have ashwagandha, you have, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the different types of ginsengs. There's, you know, Chinese ginseng, there's American ginseng, there's Siberian ginseng, there's a bunch of different types of ginsengs, holy basil, you know, these are all the different adaptogenic herbs that can be, you know, that can be really, you know, uh, helpful. Uh, in, In some ways, some of the some of the symptoms or maybe the worst a woman's symptoms are in some ways is related to, you know, their stress level, how much their adrenals are being taxed um, will kind of translate to their, you know, to their level of uh, symptom severity for the most part. And something you had alluded to earlier in this podcast was about perimenopause and the waistline, because it is when you hit perimenopause, it's like, oh my gosh, 10 pounds just came out of nowhere. Where did that come from? And, and you know, a lot of women are very concerned about that. And one thing that just one piece of the puzzle of that, it's a whole lots of pieces to the puzzle when it comes to metabolism and, and you know, weight gain and weight loss. But one piece of the puzzle is improving thyroid function. Not that someone has thyroid disease or they have a thyroid problem, but hey, anything we can do to possibly, you know, help with thyroid function can help with that metabolism during perimenopause. Yeah. Now, uh, the first thing to understand or know about thyroid function is not that it's not all about iodine. Uh, you know, we see this quite often that you know people are um, recommending or taking um, relatively high doses of iodine. The RDA for iodine is 150 micrograms, uh, and we see people that are taking you know m- you know tens of thousands of micrograms of iodine. And you know, now granted, there's a thing called I think it's called the the Tchaikov white effect or the Tchaikov wolf effect or the Tchaikov effect of some <laughs> sort, some, some doctor, uh, where iodine can make your thyroid function either go up or down, but you can't predict necessarily who is going to have that impact. Uh, and like with Hashimoto's, they say iodine is contraindicated because it can exacerbate hyperthyroid. It's contraindicated. Uh, that may be true kind of for the lay person, but we use iodine, especially the higher dose iodine, in more hyperthyroid cases as a way to tone down thyroid function, we use smaller amounts of iodine as a way to stimulate thyroid function. Uh, and there's a, you know, there's a key distinction there. You don't want to be taking these huge mega doses because when we do lab work on people and if they have been doing that, sure enough, their TSH will be actually elevated. It'll be actually abnormal. Uh, and they've been kind of, you know, uh, hurting themselves in the process. Exactly. So you want to be careful with iodine. One, I think, unsung hero of thyroid function is tyrosine or the amino acid L-tyrosine because that combines with iodine to help the formation of T4. So that, um, I think tyrosine is a, a great thing to implement and there's really not a lot of negative side effects to it, but it has that idea of being able to push forward and produce thyroid hormone. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, for those that, you, for everybody that doesn't know that you're, you're, Japanese American. Your mom is actually from Okinawa. Uh, and we've talked about on the podcast before, like whenever we go over to your mom's house, she's always putting soup in front of me. Uh, and she makes this amazing clam soup with, uh, kombu dashi, which is using seaweed kelp, uh, and then dashi, which is basically bonito flakes. And it is, I mean, she makes it literally in like five minutes. Uh, and it is like the greatest, I, I, one story I think I told way back on a podcast a long time ago, you and I were driving from Las Vegas actually up to Washington. We were in the process of moving. Uh, this is a number of years ago and we had driven, you know, 
it took us like what, two days or three days or two night, three days and two nights or whatever it was. And we stopped in Eugene, Oregon the day before. So we drove from Eugene all the way to your parents' house. They live in basically Bellevue in Washington. And uh, we got there about noon and uh, kind of felt there's this one spot on I-5, which is the, the main freeway that goes all the way from you know San Diego all the way up. Um, actually from, I think, Los Angeles all the way up. And uh, we got some traffic around Tacoma. It was, I don't know, an accident or something. There's always this one Tacoma stretch where the traffic is just horrendous. I was a little grumpy. A little. I, uh, yeah, I was a little grumpy because the road was just kind of, you know, stressful. And uh, your mom is always trying to feed me all the time. And at that point, I was just, you know, grumpy and tired. And I didn't, you know, and then she just kept insisting about this, you know, this clam soup. And then she put it, you know, put it in front of me. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like the greatest, this is the greatest soup I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. So, now she knows it's my favorite and she puts in a little shiitake mushrooms in there and uh my point of that uh, you know my point uh, why are you laughing because you're like my point of that 20 Uh, minutes later no i'm teasing you well (laughs) it's uh, really good soup it is very good soup but my point of that is that it is a vehicle for the kelp which is where the iodine comes from uh so if you're eating you know uh, and again from a food source they're really besides sea vegetables maybe some seafood there is really no good iodine sources that's why they put it in salt you know for the most part because people otherwise people would be deficient and for an iodine you know the t4 the four is four iodine molecules t3 which is the other thyroid hormone is the other you know is just one less iodine molecule iodine is a critically important uh, you know, nutrient, so to speak, for proper thyroid function, we feel that, or at least I feel that way, that the kelp, the kombu dashi um, is a great way to get a very uh, steady nutritional supply of that on a regular basis, highly absorbable, tastes really good, uh, only takes you five minutes to make it. You know, so everybody come on over. My mom will make you soup. Yeah, yeah. Her, <laughs> na- her name is Mako, by the way. She's, Mako will make you yeah, soup. <laughs> she's just fantastic. Uh, so uh, um, anyways, we'll move on from iodine, but um, th- just be careful with iodine in general. That way you can't really over supplement, I don't think. I mean, you, I don't think you could, you could, you yeah, could drink enough. Too much, yeah. yeah, you mm-hmm. couldn't drink enough, uh, you know, kelp soup unless you were just drinking it all day long. Um, but uh, certainly be a little careful with those milligram dose uh, you know, and if you are taking those milligram doses, maybe have your thyroid check to make sure your TSH doesn't go above four and a half because it, it happens more often than it doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. And some other minerals or another mineral that I like is selenium for thyroid function. That also, that helps with the conversion of T4 to free T3. And we all know free T3 is the active form of thyroid pretty much. So if you don't have a good number, you know, a good level of that free T3, you're still going to have a little bit of a lower thyroid function. So selenium's great for, great for that. And then one thing that I'm sure a lot of you know about with thyroid is thyroid glandulars. They're very, very popular, but you think glandular means it's made from an actual animal and not everybody wants to take something that's an organ from an animal. So it kind of depends on the person, but glandulars do work very well. Yeah. And when we say glandulars that way, we're not referring to prescription NDTs, natural desiccated thyroid. We're talking to non-prescription NDTs, uh, which is a little bit different. You don't obviously need a prescription to to use those. And we use them all the time uh, because, you know, they, you know, they can be uh, just enough of a boost for people to give them that extra little support that they need to make sure their thyroids are functioning well. 
so uh, we, as we mentioned in the last episode, we do. Um, um, you're actually uh, getting ready to publish a book on Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about perimenopause. So that's part of the reason why we're actually doing some of these podcasts. Uh, we will keep you up to date on when that actually is going to go live. It's not. You know, we're still kind of in the editing process and getting some formatting and designing done. If you have any questions in the meantime about perimenopause, certainly send us an email at help at progressionhealth.com. Uh, we always love the feedback. If there's something we can answer for you on the podcast, we'll be more than happy to do that. Now, granted, take in mind, we do get a lot of requests that way. And unfortunately, at this point, we just have to kind of pick and choose on which ones are, you know, which ones are applicable or which ones are the, you know, which ones we're able to facilitate. We try to do as many as we can, uh, you know, as you've heard from some of our other episodes, but, uh, you know, certainly feel free to send us an email nonetheless. Sounds great. No, thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So uh, do you have uh, uh, anything else? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to leave you kind of hanging there there a second. Do you have anything else to add about perimenopause and supplementation? Or do you think that we've covered the the majority of the bases? I think this is good. I think this is really good. And thanks for introducing the book. I'm kind of blushing because I'm a little, you know, humble and nervous and kind of embarrassed about it. But I think it's really good. And um, really, it comes from from everybody that's listened, you know, all of our listeners, all of our patients, all of our clients, you know, definitely helped with the contribution to this. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, sure. Uh, Until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.